Hey peeps, it's me, Christine, and I want to share with you a game-changing product that has improved my sleep and daily health. So let's dive in. You all know through my journey, I have struggled with sleep, being afraid of it, not getting quality sleep, and not being able to regulate my temperature throughout the night. I definitely learned the hard way, but sleep matters big time. It's when your muscles repair, your brain detoxes, and your body can work on cellular renewal. We just can't afford to miss out on an adequate amount of high-quality sleep, which is kind of hard when you have a rare disease. There's not much that I control in this real life, but one of the easiest and most effective ways to get better sleep every single night is through temperature regulation. Studies actually prove cooler temperatures lead to a deeper, more restful sleep, and that insomniacs actually lack this natural drop in core body temperature, which is what keeps them up at night. Personally, I run hot. This means that even if my room is super cold, I wake up in a pool of sweat, uncomfortable, changing my clothes several times throughout the night. It's frustrating for obvious reasons, and this is why I was so relieved to discover this transformative products from Chili. The Cube from Chili Sleep is a system that fits right over the top of your mattress and uses water to control the temperature of your bed, which helps lower your internal temperature and triggers deeper, relaxing sleep. Since water has 30 times more thermal conductivity than air, these systems are a lot more effective than just cranking up the AC. I mean, I keep my house at 65, so it has to be true. Ever since I started using the Cube system, I've noticed I fall asleep a lot faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. (laughs) Now, my wife is not a polar bear like me and likes to sleep a little bit warmer, so I love that we can each have our own temperatures on either side of the bed. Chili products can range between 55 and 115 degrees. Right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilisleep.com backslash findyourrare20, you get 20% off the Cube All Sleep Systems with Find Your Rare 20. Sleep is something we could all use more of, and we can all take small steps towards getting better sleep to improve our life in big ways. I hope you'll check out the Chili Sleep System and see why I love their product so much. Hey, peeps. It's Christine, and I'm flying solo. Today, we are talking to Aaron, the founder of Parenting Teens That Struggle and the host of the number one parenting podcast, Beyond Risk and Back. He is also a parent coach teen addiction interventionist, a facilitator of powerful parent events, and a happy husband and father of two adults. This episode is especially for all our rare parents out there. So let's dive in. This is the Because We're Strong podcast, where we sit down every week to get your stories and insight on how to navigate this rare life. You can expect everything real and raw in the hopes that your story, along with ours, helps another person who is dealing with a similar rare struggle. So grab your favorite drink, a comfy blanket, and buckle in, because rare disease isn't for the faint of heart. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, Thank you so much, Christine. I'm so happy to be on your show. I appreciate it. And, you know, one of the things that I love about this show, right, is the idea that rare can mean so many things to so many different people. And, you know, your rare journey starts at childhood. Um, and would you tell our listeners a little bit about about that? Yeah. Um, 
I was abandoned by my biological father. Uh, when my mom would pass me around as a baby, I knew how to read each individual uh, person whose lap I was bouncing in and would alter my uh, uh production so that I could entertain that person specifically. Got my first standing ovation in second grade. Uh, a doctor came and lectured about ADHD when, uh, and this was in the seventies, uh, early seventies. And all the other parents were looking at my mom like, oh, you know, they're talking about your kid. And, um, I was bullied mercilessly in elementary and middle school. Uh, and got to high school and uh, barely made it through. Barely, barely made it through. Found out two days before I graduated that I was graduating. Uh, ended up uh, in acting school afterwards back on stage and was sexually assaulted when I was 18 by my best friend who had the exact same name as my biological father. And there you go. My psyche laid bare for you. Um, and uh, really dove deeply into drug addiction. At that point, I had been experimenting since I was 12, but it wasn't serious. Got serious at 18. Lasted uh, until May 21st, 1998 on the side of a road outside Longmont, Colorado. And I uh, went to my first meeting on May 22nd, 1998. I've been sober for 23 years. In wow. 2009, my wife... Thank you. My 2009, my wife and I opened a treatment center for teenagers. And as of, I closed it 21 days ago. At the top of our game with the number one referrals, the number one uh, results in the United States, you can see on the wall there, top 100 innovator of healthcare and top 50, uh, uh, a top 50 healthcare provider in the United States. We closed down because my property insurance, my property insurance went from 20000 a year to $470,000 a year because of- Oh my God. And can we just time out for one second and just say how frustrating it is, at least for me to hear the word insurance. I get like, I know it's property insurance that's different than health insurance. But when we're talking about treatment centers, we're talking about like things like this, that insurance doesn't cover. I'm sorry. I am like beyond pissed off that like, again, an insurance has stopped something that was so helpful to a community of people. Like I'm over it. I'm over this whole barrier of insurance and being controlled by it. it, it uh, we were devastated. Uh, and it was very clear that it had to do with us being a residential program with having children live on a property. Uh, my building is what is, cause I still own the place. So I can't just go start somewhere else. I own this 40 acre, you know, 20,000 square feet of real estate, uh, that was designed for this. So it's been devastating, but now the work like you as has been, okay, great. If that, if you're shutting down the treatment centers, then I'm going to keep kids out of treatment centers. That's my job is to intervene on parents, not kids. I love working with teens. I have for 20 years, but it's the work with parents that we did as a treatment program and that I've always done that I think has set our success apart. And so that is my focus for the second half of my life. I'm 52. I think I got another 52 years to go. So second half of my life, I'm going to focus on parents. Okay. I'm just going to say this, like I always do one more time for the people in the back, because like, yes, um, as a, a, you know, a clinical social worker who started um, in child welfare uh, and then 
you know, uh, found myself in a high school. I can't even tell you how like working with teens and that work is incredible. I'm with you on that 120%. I love that you created a space that they probably most likely wanted to go to. I can't tell you how many kids, you know, residential was difficult to get in. And then when you went there, they weren't a good feeling, but the parents, right? The core of it, right? Comes back to, you know, the parents and I use parents lightly when I say that, because I think you would agree, Aaron, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the support system that a child has around them. Here's what I'm going to say about that, because this is a sensitive topic. And, you know, being being a social worker like you are, someone who's been in the social work industry and business for a while, a lot of social workers, therapists, and counselors like to use the concept of enabling and codependency to to rock the parents off of center. And I think that's one of the reasons why parents avoid their part of the recovery work. I'll say this again, being the most successful recovery program in the United States, uh, I can look back at the 20 years of that work and go, it's not that what we did with kids, we did cool stuff with kids. It's what we did with parents that made all the difference and every bit of our success. Now, here's what also I know. No child is broken. Systems fail. And children's behavior is the result of systemic failure. And no child is responsible for repairing adult-created systems. 1,000%. And not to mention, the part that is the worst is that a lot of times children are left to clean up a mess they did not create. Um, And that's what has to stop. We have to stop dropping things at children's feet that has no business being there. Uh, and let's like, we could use this as the bridge over to the, the ADHD superpower that I possess, right? One thing that my parents taught me very early was that my, my attitude, my behavior, my experience was not about my willingness. It was about my capability. And so I didn't get consequenced for what I was capable of doing and not capable of doing. I did get rewarded when I went above and beyond for willingness. And when they found me doing things that was about my willingness, my laziness, I'm not willing to do that. I'm willing to do that, but I don't, I say I am, but I lied. That's where consequences came. But with depression, with anxiety, with ADHD, with bipolar, these things are really tough for parents to navigate when their kids are going through it. And the first lesson is this is not a decision your child has made. This is not a choice. This is depression is not a feeling. Anxiety is not a feeling. You, you don't feel anxious. You, you feel scared and scared plays out because your amygdala is going, beep, 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 something's going on. Depression is a description of brain chemistry, not a feeling. I don't feel depressed. I feel sad. I feel hopeless. My brain chemistry is depressed. My brain function is depressed. And so this isn't about willingness. Your, your child is totally willing to be a volunteer at the Humane Society. Right now, they're not capable. Absolutely. And when we talk about capabilities, I want to quickly, um, you know, this is an area that I've been digging into too. And, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, executive functioning, weaknesses and strengths, right? We have, we all have them, right? And, you know, we create a system sometimes, even a system like systemically, but in our families that do not play to kids, um, 
executive functioning strength. You know, it's a system built on, you know, whatever. And that may be a weakness. Change one thing slightly. And then all of a sudden you have a whole different experience because instead of trying so hard to, you know, teach them like, you know, executive functioning skills, play to their strength, play to what works for them. If I had a classroom as a kid that said, Aaron, your homework tonight is to go learn uh, four things that you have to pack in a backpack if you think you're going to get lost and then come here tomorrow and teach kids about outdoor survival. Whether I was in second grade or in 12th grade, I would have learned more about outdoor survival in a six-hour period than people could learn in a year. If somebody had said to me, Aaron, you're teaching PE class tomorrow, I want you to go learn five different ways to do a push-up that builds different part of your chest. I could have held the class's attention for the entire time just with push-ups. I learn by teaching that schools are not designed to allow 30 children in the classroom to take turns teaching. But there is 25% of the kids in that classroom that are going to learn through teaching. There are 25% of the kids that are going to learn based on how they feel. 25 through memorization and 25 could give a crap about any of this. They want to have fun. They want, and you've got to stimulate their, their, and I'm not talking about the ADHD kids. I'm talking about about basics. I'm talking about kids who are inspired to exist through presence. And, and being ADHD, if you're not a teacher that can perform the material and hold my attention, I'm done. I'm done five minutes into the, into the class. And we don't teach just so you know, we know our, I, I, I just came from working in an elementary school and I always wondered how kids got to high school and hated school, right? How did that happen? Like, that doesn't make sense to me, right? Like, how do you hate school? And then I got to elementary school and I said, holy effing cow, it starts in kindergarten. Kids start to hate school in kindergarten because we go by the common core. We go by the teacher's impact. We we do anything but service our children. You know, another great example, I think, is Hamilton. You know, that musical taught kids more about history than, and I know that there's some play, things that are slightly off, but you know what? That has thought more about American like founding fathers than anything else. Um, any other textbook in, you know, American history. I can, when parents come to me and they say, my kid's using drugs, my kid's ADHD, my kid's dealing with depression, anxiety, what's their future going to be like? You know, and I can, I can honestly answer. I barely made it out of high school. Like I said, and I was, I was, and still am extremely ADHD. Um, I ran a school. I use drugs. I ran a treatment center. I deal with anxiety and depression. I have horrendous anxiety right now because of what's gone on in the last 21 days of my life. And I'm still able to maneuver through the day. Your job as a parent, when your kid is ADHD, is to prepare them for the real world to utilize what they have. I can go through the the side effects and symptoms of ADHD that the doctor is going to scare the shit out of you with. And I can tell you how every single one of those has become my superpower and how I use my ADHD in my work. If we don't teach our kids how to be bipolar 
And to, and to be able to say, I'm, I'm working with a parent who's very bipolar. And as a parent, her highs and her lows are extremely traumatizing to the family. So how does she leverage that? How does she use that? Because either it's a blessing or a curse. Somebody's got to decide this. And the blessing comes from transparency. Always. Transparency is the new tough love. You want to really affect change quickly. Be transparent with what you're going through and with what's going on in your life to other people. You want people to notice. You want people to stand up and support. Advocacy comes from transparency. Support comes from transparency. I couldn't agree more, you know, around these parts. And I always say, first of all, like show up, stand up and speak up, you know, bring the invisible visible. I look perfectly healthy. You look perfectly healthy. Guess what? You and me suffer from anxiety, depression. Uh, you know, we, we have a lot of shit going on, but here we are standing and being one authentic, right? Because I think that's one of my big words is that, you know what? I was tired of trying to be what the world, I thought the world wanted me to be. And I started just being myself, right? And that, that freed me. Stop running away from your darkness, accept your darkness as like, you know, a, a part of you, a part of you that gave you your superpower. And, um, I want to talk a little bit about like, I know for my parents, right? Like that's been difficult for me to hear me going, making this podcast and, you know, um, not airing our dirty laundry, but we're a more private family. So it's, it's hard, right? So can you tell me a little bit about like what your advice is to parents when they're faced with these things? Uh, really simply, a family is only as sick as its secrets, right? Your family. Oh, wow. That is, that is like what kills you is lonely not support. What kills you is lonely, not understanding. What kills you is lonely, not group therapy. Like, like you've got to find a support group with, for whatever you're going through. Every At the end of every podcast I do, I say, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way you do your best work with your children. Self-care is used ad nauseum because we happen to all agree that that's how you do it well is you take care of yourself. You want to take care of your kid? I'll tell you, if your kid's going into crisis, and that's and those are the parents that I coach. That's what my podcast is for. It's not for, and my toddler's throwing chicken sticks on the ground. There's tons of parent coaches for you. My, my parent coaching, my podcast is, hey, my son stole the car last night and was blind drunk when he totaled the car. He got arrested and then tried to commit suicide while he was at the hospital getting treatment. And now he's in an acute unit and they say insurance isn't going to cover it. And he, they want us to put him in residential. What do I do? Those are my kids. Those are my clients. Those are the parents who are like, Hey, where's my support group? And I'm here to tell you it's there, but you've got to step out into that light. You've got to be transparent. You've got to be seen. You've got to stand up, show up, speak up. You've got to do that part because you might look in your community and I was talking to a mom the other night and she goes, I, we have this parenting group at our church and this parent says, you know, my, my kid's, you know, really struggling and they're showing us risky behavior and they're smoking cigarettes and they're getting B's and C's. And the next one is, you know, my daughter and I always fight. And then these parents are like, our kid's in jail. And everybody's, and they don't feel supported. So they clam up, they sit on their hand. And my word to them is like, okay, so now you go start a support group because the truth of the matter is, is that 
25% of the parents in that room are actually also going through what you're going through. They just don't have the courage and they're feeling unsupported. So if you can't find a support group, that means start one. I love that. And that is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, a few things resonated with me this morning. I pulled a card as part of my morning routine and it said, share your shame. Um, and that like kind of hit me really hard because, you know, that's vulnerable. Right. And, but that is why I started rare in the first place, because I looked around and I was like, well, I don't fit there. I don't fit there. I don't fit there. Where do I, I didn't fit anywhere. So I was like, you know what, if I don't fit anywhere, I need to build something where I fit like a build. And I, I'm amazed every day by, like you said, the 25% who have joined me in this journey. Um, and I'm, and I'm, you know, gratitude and everything, but I had to have the courage, right. I had to be in a place to say like, okay, I'm going to give the most messy, like not on purpose. Like today I'm a hot mess as we talked about that before. And and tomorrow I might show up and look completely together, but each day I'm going to just come 100% as I am. Right. Well, how else can you come? See, that's the thing about authenticity, right? If you're, if you, if you lie constantly about who you are, about what you do, then that's your authenticity. Like, I, like I really struggle with the words authenticity and, and integrity. Because it is what is. Authenticity is only what is. And if you feel, think that your authenticity is anything other than what you actually are, that's your first path to shame. That's your first pillar of guilt is to think, I'm I'm not being authentic. No, you're just ashamed of what you're being. What you're being is very authentic to your value system. Now, if you are misrepresenting your own value system on purpose, that too is your authenticity. That's who you are authentically as someone who will misrepresent your value system. So our first thing to really do, and this is the therapeutic process with yourself, with everybody else. If you're bipolar, then you gotta be bipolar and you've gotta just be like, Hey, bitches, I'm bipolar. I'm ADHD. I, I have schizophrenia and right now my meds are a struggle. I've got depression. I'm offline. I'll call you tomorrow. I've got depression. I'm offline, but I could really use a phone call. I have too much anxiety to go to the bar with you tonight, so I'm not going. Do I need support? Nope. I just need quiet time to go take a walk to get my body nervous system. You, If you cannot embrace, look, separation is what causes your pain. Whatever you can, what you resist will persist. You're, you separate yourself from it and you will cause, it is the embracing of what is, what's going on with your kid, what's going on with your family, what's going on with your marriage, and what's going on with that person in the mirror. You, you got to give yourself permission to go through what you're going through. Denial is what's killing you. It's, it's this idea that you shouldn't. You are. You know, you, you are. At, at, at every level, not metaphorically, not allegorically, you are, this is. And the moment you're in this is and the you are, you have now stepped into what we say in the 12 steps. You admit that you've got a problem. This doesn't mean like, oh, I got a problem. This means 
I've admitted that I'm dealing with this and I'm not dealing with it well, or I'm dealing with this, or I'm dealing with this really well. But whatever it is, step into this space with your kid, your spouse, your ex. God, what's it like to be transparent with an ex where you step up to them, especially if they're a parenting partner and you guys just aren't handling it well to step into that and say, I'm not handling this well. I lose sleep because we disagree and I think you're wrong and I'm right. And I'm recognizing that you think you're right and I'm wrong and our kids suffering. And I don't know how to change this. I'm addicted to the way things have been and I don't know how to change. Like that's a step into transparency. I love that. What you said, um, I'm addicted to the way things have been. I think one that shows up a ton in this community. And I've been just kind of thinking about that, like doing some self-reflection, like, Am I addicted to my anxiety? You know, like, am I addicted to the feeling of like working all the time? Like, you know what I mean? Like, God forbid I have an hour off and that's an addiction. You know, the idea that I have to be always doing and if I'm not in an anxious state, falling apart with, you know, making myself whatever, like I, I can't function, you know, and that's a problem. It is really important that we tell everybody and that everybody gets a clue that when you want to change or when you think somebody would change, what what we have to acknowledge is that we are identifying with the what is. You know, I, I gave you my history. I gave you who I was. And there's a lot of identity wrapped up in the fact that I was sexually assaulted and how I advocate for teenagers. There's a lot of identity in being abandoned by my biological father and how I advocate for fathers and for children. There's a lot of identity in ADHD. And so if you want me to change who I am and how I deal with what I have, then you have to acknowledge that you're actually asking me to change my identity. And that's not as easy as anyone because we can say the exact same thing to the parents. This struggle that you're in with in with your teenager, with your kids, with your spouse, listen to the, me very closely because this is, this is a tough pill to swallow. You have to ask yourself, which part of this experience am I addicted to? Which part of this experience am I perpetuating the experience through? Because I'm deriving identity, power, freedom, control, safety, worth through this thing that I'm going through with my kid, my spouse, myself in the mirror, that something about this has a payoff. And if I'm going to continue to do it, then that means that the payoff is greater than the cost. Why does my teenager smoke? Because the payoff is greater than the cost. Why do they keep using drugs? Because the payoff is greater than the cost. It Why goes back to function of behavior, right, Aaron? Like the, every function, every behavior serves a specific function. And I mean, that's what I hear. Like when I know this little therapist of me, but you know, it's, it's true. It's just, it's simple. Right. And we have four, really have four functions of behavior, you know? And so when you break it down like that, like you said, like I said, and you never, nobody, no adult, no child will ever choose, right? To the less desirable payoff when they're getting a better payoff from the the thing, like you have to be able to replace it appropriately. 
Who puts in their five-year plan? Let's see. For this year, I would like to have six anxiety episodes that totally take me out, two depression, one that almost kills me, a global pandemic, and then shutting down my business uh, un- due to unforeseen expensive that I could never facilitate uh, n- nor uh, uh, create a viability around. But that looks like a good five-year business plan. We don't, we don't step into this through a conscious creation. If you have a computer, it's going to get hacked. It's not because you you don't get to say that what she was wearing caused her to be raped or attacked. Any more than you get to say, because you have a computer, your identity got stolen. That because you had a village, a dragon shows, shows up. The, 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 the dragons, the hackers, and the rapists are out there. And they will choose who they choose. And when that dragon shows up in your life, you have two versions. There, there are two versions of the story. Once upon a time, there was a village, and it's a happy king and queen, and they got a princess who's running around all the village and getting bread from the bakers and and getting you know watching that blacksmith hammer and the cows and the sheep and the field and the gold and the armory and a dragon shows up and burns the fields and burns the crops and kills the cattle and sheep and burnt, knocks over the blacksmith shop and knocks over the bakery and steals the princess and steals the gold from the castle and the town is devastated. They are beside themselves. And so what do they do? They build the walls higher. They set out a sacrifice so the dragon, if they come back, and of course the dragon's going to come back, that the dragon takes the sacrifice and not the animals that have been rehusbanded and not the prince and not the, but the dragon comes back. It takes whatever it wants. And until the king and queen decide that they need to hire the warrior to go rescue the princess and the gold, promising that the the warrior can marry the princess and secure the future of the realm. The warrior does it. And happily ever after, blah, blah, blah. Listen, that is not a story about a man rescuing a woman from a monster. That is a story about the prefrontal cortex, the king and the queen, making a conscious decision to use their values and courage to confront the shadow that has destroyed the innocence. The cattle and the sheep, and the the fields, and the crops. That represents how we nurture ourselves. The dragon takes that and destroys that. The gold, that represents our self-worth. The, the, the blacksmith, that represents our fortitude and our forging of the future. The creation. The, the, the princess represents innocence. And when, when this valor, this courage of the self enters into the cave of the innermost self to battle this reptilian limbic brain experience of trauma that is an external locus of control, right? The dragon is an external thing. It's the hacker. It's the rapist. It's something that happened to you, to your village. But the king and queen are you, the warrior is you, and the princess is your innocent one. But when that when that warrior and that princess battle the dragon and rescue the gold and come home, your future is secure, and that princess is no longer innocent. Longer innocent. She knows the truth, and that is this first story of trauma. However, you watch Shrek, that's a story of trauma. However, you watch Sleeping Beauty, that's a story of trauma. I think you just actually destroyed Shrek for me um, in the best way possible, but like. Oh man, I'm I'm now gonna have to rewatch it. I just watched it recently, and uh, yes, everything you just said about that is like, oh my god, flashing through my head. 
Um, Aaron, you have so much knowledge. You have an amazing podcast. I know that right now is a difficult time, but I can't wait to see what you do next. What, where can people find you? Um, where can people connect with you who are going through some of these struggles, whether, you know, on whatever scale they relate, um, where can they find you? There are three places, two free, one paid. And the pay one's cheap because I want it cheap. I want every parent to be able to access the paid. So here's the first free. My podcast is Beyond Risk and Back. This is where I interview the experts in adolescent uh, development, recovery, addiction, uh, 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 mental health disorder, behavioral disorder, Beyond Risk and Back, anywhere you find your podcasts. We are 240 episodes deep. I got world experts on there because I have traveled the world to find them at these mental health conferences that we as professionals get to go to and then all tell each other the latest and greatest information about this stuff. Parents need this info. So I get these experts on the show. Second free place. On Facebook, which I don't know what it will be called tomorrow, but apparently the name, the Facebook is changing its name to avoid a ton of lawsuits or something. But whatever. Oh my it's God, called, it just gave me the tea. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, it's there. It was all over the news last night. But go to Facebook and find a group called Parenting Teens That Struggle. I got 1,600 parents on there who are going through what you're going through. And this is where we help each other. I moderate it. My daughter moderates it. I've got other experts on there. I post all my podcasts. I post self-help videos. And I host a free Monday night call every Monday night at 7 p.m. Mountain for any parent to come on and go, what the, how do I go through this? Now, my third thing, which is the paid thing, is you can go to Beyond Risk. I'm sorry, B-R-A-B. That stands for Beyond Risk and Back. B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Brab app. Dot com. This is a parenting masterclass. This is everything I have ever taught parents in 20 years. 56 classes moved into three categories, the red, the yellow, and the green. Red is beyond risk. This kid's, this is nightmare time, life and limb time. This is really dangerous and very scary and traumatizing for the whole family. The yellow is at risk. We're noticing behaviors. Friend group has changed, found some weed, the grades are dropping. Uh oh, but they're still talking to me. They're still showing up to Thanksgiving. And then the green things are going pretty good, but man, they could be great. What do I need to change to, to show this kid how to be a world changer? See, all three of the classes are what parents do differently. We're, we're going to intervene on the parent thing. Parents, everything you did got you to this point. And if your kid's alive and they're struggling, They're alive and struggling. So we're going to take everything you did and high five you. And then we're going to move forward from that. We're going to show you how to get from survival to thrival. So brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Right now it's $37 for the entire course. I'm on the website. As always, peeps, I went ahead and linked all of that down below in the show notes so that you. you can easily access it. But I'm on it right now. And just like from a, I mean, I'm 10 years into being a clinical therapist and I just love how you align the colors because that's what we're doing, right? Like that's, what, it's a connection that you're, that's happening and in school and $37 for all of this content is out of control. So thank you for making this an accessible parent resource, because that's the thing too, is you have, has to be accessible. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking your time. 
Um, and peeps, I'm going to try my hardest to get Aaron in something else because this has been just such a powerful experience. And I can't thank you enough for bringing it to our community. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being able to connect with your crowd. As always, to our listeners, tune in every week. Thank you for helping us bridge the gap between rare disease and the rest of the world. Until next time, live large and stay rare. Catch us next week for another episode. To continue the conversation about rare disease and all the unknowns that comes with it, join our Facebook group. Want even more rare? Become a VRP member on Patreon and learn more about our stories or how to share yours by visiting bwspod.com.